for the week. Um, let's go Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have the text up on the screen behind me in just a little bit. We also have some physical Bibles scattered around the room and the little racks beneath the seats. I, I do need to give you a little heads up yet, uh, this morning. Our theme verse for the week uh, is actually taken from a different translation than what we normally use in here called the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. And so I'm going to be looking at it out of the CSB this morning. And so uh, the versions that we have in the seats are not the same. And so just want to give you a heads up that what I'm reading and what's going to be on the screen is different than what you would grab if you grabbed one of the physical Bibles. Uh, saying that, though, we'll be back in our normal uh, trajectory next week. And so if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take that specific one home. Uh, the reason for that is incredibly simple. We believe that God uses the Bible for all kinds of things, but most importantly, to give us himself, to teach us about who he is. And so we want you to know God, and the best way to chase after knowing him is in the Scripture. And so if you don't have a Bible outside of this place, take that one and call it yours and we'll call it a win. All right. And so Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Um, so it's the Sunday before Vacation Bible School, if you haven't figured that out yet. And we dedicate the Sunday before Vacation Bible School every year to just kind of giving this big old kickoff and getting us excited about things. Uh, Tracy Johnson, uh, as you can tell, is a little pumped up. Um, if you hadn't, then you were following the rules and, and you were excited enough and she didn't have to come visit you. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, she did. Uh, no, she, she's been putting in a ton of work. She and her team have been working really hard over the last couple of months and things are just now coming to a head and it's time to hit the go button. All right? They've been working so hard. It's kind of one of those weeks that you either need to find a way of helping her or get, her out, of, get out of her way. You know, those kind of weeks. I have those weeks sometimes. Tracy is definitely having one of those weeks this week. All right? And so, uh, no, we have a ton of people who have put in the work, put in the effort, who have purchased resources, decorated rooms, prepped for Bible studies. We've got all these girls who have been learning the motions of the song for the last little bit, and, and they're ready to teach other people. And so this is this great cumulative effort of the church, and we're really excited about it. In fact, I'm starting to get super excited about it. Man, VBS is this crazy, weird week that leaves you both ecstatic and exhausted. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, if you do it right, you come out the other side of Vacation Bible School never wanting to do it again, but also at the same time ready for next year. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah, everybody who's worked it can relate to that. All right? If you haven't, come hang out this week. We'll show you around. All right? Now, it's this incredibly, incredibly weird week where it's simultaneously exhausting and completely unmatched in its reward. Completely unmatched. But even though it's both exhausting and fun, it's also incredibly rewarding. And so I hope, um, I hope you understand that we wouldn't go to this level of effort without it paying off for us in some way, right? We want to be good stewards in, in our church. We want to use our resources well and use our time and our volunteer effort well. Like, we wouldn't be doing this if it didn't pay off in some massive, massive way for us. And so we see Vacation Bible School as one of the most effective evangelism and discipleship tools in the life of our church. By every measure, actually. And so I said this last year, and I'll say it again this year. If you're on the fringe of thinking, is all this even worth it? I mean, why, why to go to this effort? Is the silly song even appropriate? Well, if we run the numbers, and we do, Vacation Bible School is by every measure one of the most valuable things we do around here. So the answer is absolutely, it's worth it. We're going to dedicate a week to all of these things. But here's the deal. 
While many of you are going to be part of our efforts this week, the reality is that most of you won't. Uh, you've got your own commitments. Uh, many of you would, we've got a lot of people serving. Many of you would serve in other ways if your schedule allowed it. We've got a lot of people who are part of National Baptist Church who have no idea what's going on this week. I'm here to fix that this morning. I want you to know what's going on this week. And so to keep everyone up to speed, we're going to look at our week's theme verse today. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Let's look at it together. Get to read out of this Bible that somebody gave me that I normally read out of a different translation, but somebody gave me this nice Bible, so I get to carry this big honking thing today. <laughs> verse 3. His divine power, it's talking about God, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Okay, so that's the theme verse for the week. Hit the go start. Hit the starting line. Let's go. Let's do this, right? It's a theme verse. Our kids are going to be hearing this verse over and over again. Every morning when they come in to start the day, we have this worship rally time that everybody's together before they break off into all their little groups. And in our worship rally time, we're going to recite this verse together. It's on the wall back there behind you right now. It's posted all over the place in this building. Right? They're going to see this verse over and over and over again. They are going to, uh, a lot of our older kids are going to try to commit this to memory throughout the week. We're going to incentivize that in some way. We're, like, we're going we're to look for ways to get kids to memorize this verse. I don't know if you caught it, but it's verbatim the words of the bridge of the song that the girls just taught you. His divine power has given us everything. It's word for word out of this translation of the Bible. So the reality is, is that we're going to drill as deeply as possible this week, this verse, into little hearts and minds. Over and over and over again. But here's what's really crazy about this verse. It has a universe of meaning that's not immediately apparent on the surface. And I want to help us read it as effectively as possible today. And for the week to come. In order to do that, we need to give it the deep rewind treatment. I don't know if you've ever come across this thing in our culture lately. Uh, a lot of people are doing that, but the deep rewind. And, and so the deep rewind is this. We've, we've got this verse that we know is important, and we know it's a big deal, but we don't know exactly why. I want to show you why it's a massive, massive deal by giving you all of the context around it. And to do that, to start doing that, we need to look at the two verses above it. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Let's see what our context is. Simeon, or Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So call time out there. We have gotten not even a sentence into this, and we've already learned two major things. Okay? All right, so, we, I mean, we stopped at a colon. We're not even a whole sentence in. Just a few words into this verse. All right, right out of the gate, we learn two things. We learn who the author is and a little bit about this author, right? So what do we learn? Who's the author? Peter. Simon Peter. All right? One of the original 12 disciples, right? The, the lovable bull in a china closet named Peter. That guy. The guy who loves and trusts Jesus enough to jump out of the boat and try walking on water when Jesus says, hey, give it a shot. That guy. The guy who also is apparently dumb enough to try to tell Jesus he doesn't understand how kingdoms work and she should stop all this talking about dying on the cross nonsense. That Peter. That Peter is the author of this letter. But he also uh, says a couple of things about him. What, what does he declare for himself right here? He calls himself two things. A servant. Right? A servant of who? 
Jesus Christ, right? Uh, some of your translations may say a bondservant or, or a slave. I happen to think that slave is a better translation of that word. The Greek word there is the word doulos. Right? It literally means slave. Right? Uh, uh, there's another Greek word that's often used for servant in the Bible called diakonos, which is where we get our English word deacon from. That should tell you how we treat deacons around here. Right? And so, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if you see him doing anything else, I got a Greek word. Right? So, no, so doulos is the word that's used here by, second, uh, by Peter in this letter. All right? And so he says, I am a slave for Jesus Christ. Now, why does the translators choose to use servant instead of slave? I don't really know. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that, that there's a little bit of choice in Peter's uh, wording here. Maybe slave feels too strong a tone for them. And, and Peter's got this active uh, initiative to serve Jesus Christ. And so maybe they feel like slave is, is too strong a word. I don't know. But whether it's slave, bond servant, or servant... The result is still the same. You're doing what the master tells you to do. Right? That's what a good, that's what a good slave does. If they don't do that, then they're a disobedient slave, servant, bond servant, whatever you want to call them. Peter is coming out of the gate saying, I'm going to do what Jesus tells me to do. That's who I am. But that's not all he claims for himself. What's the second thing? An apostle calls himself an apostle. We've, we talked about this in here before in the past, but maybe you're new. An apostle is literally a messenger. That's, that's all the ancient world thought of it. That, that was a common term for a messenger in the world that Peter is living in and writing this letter in. But the early church adopted that word for their own purposes. They used it as a title. A title given to people who were directly called out by Jesus, commissioned by Jesus to speak on his behalf. These are the guys that when they opened their mouth, you would assume that it was God himself doing the talking. So Peter calls himself a slave, a servant, and an apostle. He's going to do whatever Jesus tells him to do, and he's going to say whatever Jesus tells him to say. But we're not even a sentence in, and we haven't learned who the audience is, right? Simeon, Peter, a servant of the apostle of Jesus Christ, colon, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so Peter here doesn't identify exactly who the audience is, but he does tell us something about him, right? What does he tell us about him? That they have this incredible faith, right? And a faith that's equal to, on par with, anybody else in God's kingdom, including the apostle writing this letter. That this is a group of people who are standing resolute, who are standing firm, but notice he doesn't congratulate them on their efforts. This faith is not their own doing, to steal a phrase from another place in the Bible. It is the gift of God. Peter specifically says it is through the righteousness of Christ. The tone here is that he, they have been handed an incredibly, incredibly valuable gift. An incredibly valuable gift. Jesus' righteousness imputed or applied to them. So now they're seen as standing faithful in the midst of people who aren't faithful. So, why is that important for the purposes of our morning today? Like, what does this inform about the reading of a theme verse for Vacation Bible School this week? 
Well, Peter may not identify his audience here, but it doesn't mean we don't know who they are. And by putting this together with a couple other pieces that we get from other places in the Bible, well, we learn something. The first place we need to look is chapter 3. Turn with me real quick, maybe just one page to the right. Chapter 3, look at verse 1. Dear friends, this is now the what? Second letter I have written to you. Okay, class, what do we learn? Peter's wrote, written a letter to these guys before, right? Peter's talked to these guys before. Gee, I wonder, wouldn't it be nice if we had access to that letter and knew what it was called? It's First Peter, right? Yeah, it's First Peter. And, and there is a mountain of critical scholarship that suggests that this is exactly who Peter's talking to. The same exact audience that he wrote his first letter to. That, that there's actually not even really anywhere close to a feasible argument otherwise. The letter, the audience of his second letter is the audience of his first letter. Think it'd be valuable to look at, see who the audience of his first letter is? All right, 1 Peter chapter 1. Join me there. 1 Peter chapter 1. We might learn something this morning. Look at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to the to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Peter calls them elect exiles, and he means that literally. These are God's people who have been exiled out of their homes. A lot of people think from Rome itself, and a lot of people think that these were once Peter's church in Rome. But now they have been forcibly separated from their homes and everything they love, and they've ended up where? Some of y'all are trying to pronounce those words. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Those are all places in Asia Minor. Not near Rome. They've been separated a long way from home, right? So how did they get from being considered elect exiles in 1 Peter all the way to being those whose faith is as strong as anyone else's in God's kingdom in Peter's second letter. How'd they get from point A to point B? Well, there was always been a good bit of persecution in the first two decades of the early church. Um, there was never not persecution, but Christians were, were kind of just a blip on the radar for the first two or three decades of the church. And, and so it, it wasn't really focused on them. They were just kind of seen as this Jewish sect that broke away, that was walking in disobedience to Jewish protocols, and the Jews could handle them and all that kind of stuff. So there was, there was persecution, but it wasn't really coming from Rome in the first two centuries. But then in 54 AD, Nero comes to power, and things change a little bit. Persecution takes a step up, all right? And, and things got a little awkward. In fact, he started driving the Jews and the Christians that he saw as a sect of the Jews out of the city of Rome. And while there's all these kinds of stories surrounding uh, Nero and, and how cruel he was, Nero, he wasn't the, the, the most 
most oppressive emperor in the early church, to the early church, but he's really high on the list. Really high on the list. There's guys that came later that may have been the, the pure embodiment of evil, but Nero had his junk. Nero was causing all kinds of problems for the early church. And so Peter writes a letter to these, to these Christians who have been exiled out of Rome all the way into Asia Minor in about A.D. 62 or 63, right? which is like eight or nine years into Nero's reign. So they've been separated from their homes for probably a year or two, but maybe even up to eight or nine years, depending on when all this started. We don't know. He writes to encourage them to spur them on, to hold on and keep the faith. He writes to remind them of the great hope that they have through Jesus. And then, in AD 64, there's a giant fire in the city of Rome. Now, a lot of scholars think that Nero probably started that fire himself to be a distraction from some political problems he was having at the time. But it doesn't really matter who started it because the blame was absolutely placed on the Jews and the Christians. And Nero uses that moment to kind of create an enemy of the empire. And all the persecution, which was at at least a moderate level before then, takes a few steps up. And things get crazy during that year. In fact, we believe that it's during that year that of intensified persecution that both Peter and Paul were arrested and ultimately martyred. We believe that that's the year that they died. And we believe it's because of this intensified persecution that brought it about. But before that happens, as these guys are waiting in jail to be executed, Paul writes the letter that we commonly refer to as 2 Timothy, and Peter writes the letter we commonly refer to as 2 Peter. And this is the context that we need to read our BBS theme verse in. These are guys awaiting martyrdom. They know what's coming. And they have words of advice for those whom they love. This is the context that we need to read our theme verse in. So back with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 1. Simeon, Peter, a servant of an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Okay, so what's Peter saying? He's saying that despite persecution, Despite calamities and hardships, despite being separated from everything you know and love, maybe even for up to a decade by this point, that despite all that, everything they know and love, even though it's been taken away from them, God has given them everything that they need. To a a persecuted group of followers of Jesus, far away from home, trying to make a new life for themselves, that God has given them everything they need. Everything they need for what? For life and for godliness, right? For life and for godliness. For to, to be sustained and to walk pleasingly before the Lord. Well, how does he do that? Peter tells us. Through the knowledge of him who called us. Peter's argument here is that 
It is by knowing God and knowing him deeply that we are given everything we need. Everything. And while Peter doesn't take the logical next step, I, I hope that we've established a culture here in my time that you can answer this question correctly. How do we best know God? Through the Bible. Peter doesn't take that logical next step, but it's the logical next step. We want to know God. Peter says, everything you need for life and godliness is found in knowing him. And there's other ways to know him, but the way above all other ways is to know him through the scriptures, right? God has given us his word, the scriptures, to know him. And through knowing him, that we are given everything we need for life and godliness. Peter is talking to a group of people who, at least by worldly standards, by worldly wisdom and, and sensibilities, would have been perfectly okay with walking away from dumping everything that got them into this little pickle right now. Right? By worldly sensibilities, I think these guys would have gotten a pass. I mean, think about it for a second. To continue to identify yourselves as the people of God in this season. Not exactly helping their cause. To order their lives around Jesus' teaching and the reality of his resurrection and the apostles' writings. To continue to identify themselves and organize their communities around those things was putting a giant target on their back. It was seen by those outside the church as absolutely ridiculous. Can't you see what they're doing to you? Why would you hang on to that? There's, there are much safer things to revolve your lives and your community around. The audience of Peter's letter feels the pressure here far more than you or I ever have and likely ever will. I love you, church, but get our heads out of this Americanized picture of persecution that we often think through. They are literally exiles right now forcibly separated for years now from everything they know, everything they love, at the cost of following Jesus. At the cost of following Jesus. They've given up everything in order to walk in obedience to their Lord. And an aging apostle waiting on death row in a jail cell goes, Don't do it! Don't give up! God has given you everything you need through knowing him. Who cares what the world calls you because Jesus calls you his own? Who cares how the world treats you because Jesus clothes you in his righteousness? Who cares what the world takes away from you because you have everything you need for life and godliness through knowing him? Who cares? He says, don't give up. Don't do it. Don't give in to the pressure. Don't walk away from your source of life. Cling to God and clutch with a death grip the thing that he has given you to know him better. That is what Peter is saying in 2 Peter 1.3. That is the context of our Vacation Bible School theme verse this year. And so listen, we may have all this stuff revolving around a cutesy little sports theme this week. We've got decorations on the wall. We've got, I mean, even our snacks are themed this week. (laughs) 
We've got a bunch of songs that many people probably think are silly. We've got motions to those songs that everybody probably ought to think are silly. But it's also going to be a week full of our children learning five absolutely massive truths about Jesus that give them everything they need for life and godliness. Everything they need. Five truths that aim to change the way they see the world and live in the world even when it's really, really hard to do so. That's what we're aiming about this week. On Monday, they're going to learn about how Jesus cares for them. Not generally, not generically, specifically for them. We're going to open up the Bible and we're going to look at the, the parable of the lost sheep and how Jesus leaves the 99 to go find the one. And in my favorite, absolute favorite part of that story, he searches diligently until he finds it. Not some afterthought, not some cherry on top to the kingdom of God. Uh, 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 well, it'd be nice if you were here, but we'll be okay if you don't. No, he is searching diligently until he finds you. God wants you and he will not give up until he has you. Oh, I love that story. On Tuesday, we're going to open up the Bible. And we're going to learn how Jesus gives us hope. They're going to open up the story of Lazarus and they're going to see how Jesus calls a dead man out of the tomb by his words alone. And if Jesus can make the dead rise, is there anything that's out of his reach? The answer is no. On Wednesday, they're going to walk, uh, talk about how Jesus helps us believe. They're going to look at the story that we usually call Doubting Thomas. I think we misread that story all the time because Jesus seems to go out of his way to show Thomas the proof that he so desperately is begging for. But unlike Thomas, we don't have to see the holes in his hands or in his side because Jesus' words are more trustworthy than even our own senses. And if we'll no learn him and know who he is, we don't need that proof because we have him in front of us. On Thursday, you're going to see the gospel proclaimed out of the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And on Friday, they're going to learn that Jesus is the source of un matchable, unending joy. Happiness can come and go because the things that make us happy can come and go, but Jesus, he gives us joy, and Jesus is untouchable. Unending joy at a depth that can't be matched by anything this world has to offer. So why do I, why do I list all that? I mean, I could have come up with more creative ways to talk about this verse. Why did I, why did I give you the rundown of the week's work? Because I want you to know specifically how you can pray for this this week. I want you to know specifically, in detail, how you can pray for us this week. We've got a ton of great volunteers here. We've got others who would step up to the plate if we needed them. But listen, most of y'all will not be here all week long. I want you to know in detail how you can pray for us this week because there ain't a Christian in this room who can who can't be involved that way. There ain't a Christian in this room, despite what else is going on in here and the, the volunteer efforts that we have, every part of the church can be involved in this piece. What we're doing here for the next five days is not some cute little feel-good event for the kids. It is an intentional and contextualized assault on the kingdoms of this world. 
We want to forever change little hearts and minds. And like Peter, we actually believe that God's word is big enough to do something about it. So we're going to open up the Bible this week. And so pray for us this week because this is way bigger than us, right? This is way bigger than us. And we desperately need God to do big things this week. So pray for us. And when he does those big things, man, watch how he changes the world with it. This place would never be the same. But we're not simply going to wait for next week to start praying. We're going to start today. We're going to start today. After our time is over here, we got a little bit of response time after I'm done, but after that, after our time is over, we want people to prayer walk our campus this morning. If, you're, uh, if you didn't know by now, uh, all of our small groups are shut down for the week. No small groups this week. Normally we have a little fellowship time uh, after the service. That'll all be out there, I think. But no small groups this week. Uh, that, that normally starts at 11. We want you to prayer walk our campus. We want you to visit all the little places that ministry is going to be happening this week and pray specifically in those places for those places. There's signs on all the doors that tell you what class is in there. There's uh, temporary signs on the doors right now that tell you which leader's in there and what they're doing, all that kind of stuff. Listen, maybe your palms are starting to get a little sweaty right now because you're not exactly the pray in front of other people type. The most pastorly and loving thing I can tell you is stop it. (laughs) Seriously? You cannot point to one place in the Bible where God is more concerned about the form of someone's prayer than the heart behind it. I'll give you a $100 bill today if you can point it to me. It's not there. Story after story after story of God receiving the prayer from the guy who sounds like he doesn't know what he's talking about, but he's just laying himself bare before the Lord. Story after story after story of God uh, receiving the prayer of the one who sounds impressive to the world, but God knows the heart of this hollow, and he doesn't even enjoy it. He doesn't listen. In fact, he tells the guy he refuses to listen to the prayer. Form doesn't matter to our God. And I promise you, I'm not aiming to judge either. Just get out of your own head about it. That might be a lie from the enemy. Just saying. I want us to pray this morning. But there are also two groups here this week that we can address and maybe need to address. First, if you're a visitor here this week, it may be a little awkward. I don't know. Welcome to Nashua Baptist Church. <laughs> Awkward is what we do. I mean, look who they hired to be the pastor. <laughs> Listen, we don't do this every week. But what a great week to follow us around and learn who we are and what it is we value here. It's a good week for that. If you want to know more about us, have fun today. It's a feast. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, it's going to be even extra awkward. To you, I'd say this. Hang out with us and watch us place our hope in the God who does big things. Watch us show you what we're putting our energy into instead of a bunch of decorations. Decorations are great, but we'd rather have God work. So hang out with us this week. But prayer is not all we can do today. 
Because anytime God's word is proclaimed, God's word ought to be responded to. That's how God's word works. He speaks and things happen, right? So anytime God's word is proclaimed, we ought to give opportunity to respond. And so the question we need to ask is, how do we respond to God's word today? If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, your response is to press into God, right? And I think today, today you do that by repenting of sin and pressing into his word, a deeper trust of his word, right? Not head knowledge. That's not a bad thing, but that's not what we're aiming at here. We want, we want life change. We want you to fall in love with this God. You do that by cherishing the gifts he's given us to know him and pressing into those. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. We'll have a couple of leaders up front here to talk and pray with you if that would be something that serves you well this morning. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, you can respond to God's word today too. You do that by meeting this Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to pay the debt of our sin. He did so willingly, and he did so because of his great love and his great mercy towards you. And all those, the Bible teaches that all those who trust his work on their behalf are declared righteous before him. They're reconciled to him. That those who confess with their mouth that he is Lord belong to him and are his forever. So maybe today's the day that you want to take that step and make that commitment. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. I'll be down front here. You come talk to me if that's you. But let's all respond to God's word this morning. God, you're good to us. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for 2 Peter 1.3 and the world of context behind it. God, we fall into these ruts where we, where we think that things will just kind of work themselves out or I don't need to be diligent in this thing or that thing. But God, you've called me to cling tightly to your word and to find you there. So may I never see it as anything less than that. God, thank you for the examples that have gone before us of those who have walked in faithfulness. I don't know, there may yet come a day where that's called on of us. May we be found just as faithful. But I know even before going in it, it is not my resolve that will get me there. It's that I'm standing clothed in your righteousness. It is your faithfulness applied to me that allows me to be faithful. And God, for anybody in here who who doesn't know you yet, would you draw them to yourself today? Would you show them your face? For you are good, and you are lovely, and you are mighty to save. To save people today. As we respond, give us courage to, to take steps of obedience. Send us out this week in a way that glorifies your name. In your name we pray. Amen.